Well, um, I too think uh, the best sermon is one that you can see and not hear, but too bad you're going to have to listen to one. <laughs> but I'll try to be mindful of the, of the time. As you know, we, we're in a series on Wednesday nights that will last for some time, Lord willing, Foundations of the Faith, and we began quite some time ago laying the first foundation stone, really the bedrock of what we believe, the Bible. If we could demonstrate it is reliable and trustworthy and without error and authoritative, then everything else we believe will be informed by it. And so from the Bible, we became informed uh, about the nature, the attributes of God. And then specifically, uh, Jesus, God's Son, second person of the Trinity. And then we moved on over the last few weeks to speak of the Holy Spirit and His nature and the wonderful gifts He gives uh, for the common good. And tonight, I'd like for us to begin a series in the Foundations of Faith a series uh, about us. Sometimes our favorite topic is us. And so let, that's not the U.S. Uh, as in the United States. That's us as in people. And so let's talk about us. For instance, one of the things I think you will agree is very true about us is that we are here. So, so let me prove that to you. Can you extend uh, your hand if you're seated next to someone to the, that person's shoulder and just push gently against it? Yeah. See, the reason why you can't extend your hand further is that that person is there. So there, that just proves my, we are here and there's no, we can debate about a lot of things, but that we are here is just not a point we ought to debate. You just figured out that we're here, which leads to the question, uh, how did we get here? So with regard to this topic, us, let's address this question tonight. How did we get here? And I didn't mean whether you came from Galveston or Pearland. I mean origin. How did you come to be? And though it could be a complicated issue, it really isn't. In fact, the theories uh, with regard to human origin can be placed in one of two general uh, categories. Really, there are only two explanations for how we got here. One is natural, and the other is supernatural. In other words, did we evolve through natural processes, or were we created supernaturally by the direct creative activity of God? So which is it, folks, as an explanation for how we done got here? Is it evolution or is it creation? Uh, these are two very, very different responses to the question, and yet they do have something, at least one thing in common. Both, this may be a surprise to you, both require faith. See, the evolutionist, by faith, believes that before us, matter existed, and that we developed somehow inexplicably from matter. So by, by faith, the evolutionist believes that matter is eternal. Uh, the creationist, on the other hand, by faith, 
believes that before us, God, not matter, existed eternally. So to sum up the two alternative views, by faith, the evolutionist believes that matter is eternal. And by faith, the creationist believes that God is eternal. And so the two systems have in common, really, that both rely on faith. Now, we have been told that this discussion, sometimes this rather animated debate about creation or evolution, is really a discussion between science and religion, with evolution being considered science and biblical creationism being considered religion. Could I just make this statement? That's hogwash. That is not true. See, neither evolution nor creationism is scientific. You see, they are both worldviews based on faith. Real science is based on what you can observe and what you can measure and what you can repeat. And so if you can't observe it, and if you can't measure it, and if you can't repeat it, it is not science. And so, what is it then? Well, it's philosophy or a worldview. So neither the evolutionist nor the creationist were there, as far as I could tell, at the time of the beginning of life. And therefore, since nobody was there, none of us were there at the time of the beginning of life, really neither point of view is purely scientific. Now, the biblical creationist readily admits to that. The biblical creationist says, I base my belief on uh, the origin of human life on one thing, biblical revelation. I wasn't there. It would be purely speculative of me to try to answer the question, how did I get here when I wasn't there, when I done got here? And so, therefore, I have to make recourse about this question, as I do about all others, to the Bible. And so the biblical creationist would say, it's not unscientific, it's not contrary to science, what I believe, but I'm really not looking to the scientific community to prove creation. It's already been proven to me. I have it on good record in an errant authoritative 66 books of propositional truth. And I got an explanation for me in the very first chapter of the first book of the Bible. And so the biblical creationist is absolutely unashamed about saying, I answer the question from the Bible. Now the evolutionist, in my opinion, is not quite so unashamed about admitting his point of view is not scientific at all. You, you see, the evolutionist claims his conclusions are based on science. That's simply not true. See, the evolutionist says in the beginning, all there was was matter and not God. But the biblical creationist says, no, that's not true. In the beginning, all there was was God and not matter. Now, I want to ask you a question. Why is that statement any less scientific than the first one? So don't buy this thing about this is about religion versus science. Absolutely not. Both worldviews, both explanations about human origin are based on faith, not hard science. And therefore, I ask you this question. Why not choose the worldview that simply makes the most sense? In other words... Does the theory of evolution really make sense? 
Well, before we answer the question, let's be sure we know what we're talking about when we talk about evolution. It simply says that complex elements in life developed from simpler elements. And so it says living things emanated from non-living things. They came together inexplicably somehow, chemicals, inorganic matter. There was some kind of a spark, some kind of an explosion, some kind of a boom, and poof, there you is. You see? From the simple to the complex. And then even within living species, evolutionists say, again, move, moving from the simple to the complex, complex living organisms like uses, we came from less complex animals like apes and monkeys, you see? So that's, that's the theory of evolution. Now, if you choose to believe in that theory, uh, then you have to accept the following two things. The first is, that life came from non-life. And I simply want to ask you, is that reasonable? Life came from non-life. Second, you have to accept, life changes from simple forms to complex forms over time. And so if you buy into evolution, based on the definition I just gave you, you have to accept these two propositions. Now, I have to tell you, they require a lot of faith. You see, to believe in these two propositions, and the reason why they do, let's just take the first one, life came from non-life. I'll tell you why you need a lot of faith for that, and that's because nobody can explain that. There's no evolutionist, and I don't care how brilliant and intelligent, who can come up with certainty and tell you how it happened. They just have speculation. It's just it's blind faith. They make the statement that human life, life, came from non-life, and nobody can offer anything but speculation about how that rather outstanding claim can be answered. How do you reconcile it with reason? So if nobody knows for sure how we got here by evolutionary processes, how can you know for sure that we got here by evolutionary processes. So I'm just asking you, is this reasonable? It's not scientific at all. You have to make a huge blind leap to accept the theory of evolution. Now, the second thing you have to accept if you explain your being through natural evolutionary processes is that a life evolved from simple forms to complex forms over time. But that doesn't seem to be the case with us. You, you, you know, when you look to, to man appearing on the scene, he, he appears to be complete when you find him for the first time. He has his mind, and he has his heart, and he's got kidneys, and he's, he's got all of his faculties and all of his organisms. And it is true in the human species, I suppose, earlier man was a little shorter and all the rest. And nobody is saying that a species doesn't adapt to environmental things over the course of time. But I got to tell you, that's a whole complex life form, poof, appearing in an instant. We don't have any record. There's no evidence of transitional, transitional life forms. And so uh, it undermines the whole theory of evolution, which says complex forms of life simply evolved from simple forms. Where's the evidence? Let me ask you this. Where is the evidence that matter, just plain inorganic, lifeless matter, left to itself, where's the evidence that it can somehow organize itself 
upward uh, towards human life. I got to tell you, you know why I'm a biblical creationist? Because I don't got enough blind faith to believe in the other world view. You mean to tell me a bunch of chemicals just was sitting around eons ago in the oceans or something like this? And it explains us as complex as we are? I, I'm, I'm sorry. I just don't have enough faith to buy that. If you do, wow, that's really bad. You see, so without the evidence that from lifeless matter, that's, you know, life emanated, without the evidence, don't you see what we have is the theory of evolution. Those are not my words. That's what scientists call it, the theory. What's a theory? A theory is man's attempt at explaining data. It's not a law. It's not a proof. It's not a mathematical certainty. It's a theory. It's a theory. Don't you see? The theory of evolution. So if you want to embrace a theory without sufficient evidence, you just have a lot of faith. Now, there was Charles Darwin. You know about him, and he's not really high on our popularity list, I wouldn't think, around here. And he did something rather unique. It's not like he came up with the first naturalistic explanation for, for human origin. That existed really in cultures way, way before Charles Darwin. But he added something to the mix. He explained how the whole process could happen. He came along and offered an explanation with regard to how complex creatures like us could evolve from more simple ancestors like monkeys over time. And so he said this is what happens. In the gene pool, sometimes at random changes, uh, deviations, mutations occur. And he says they're beneficial to a species so that when all these beneficial mutations persist, what happens through a process of natural selection, that's what he called it, natural selection, nature selects out of the gene pool these beneficial genetic mutations, and then they're passed on to the next generation. And over time, eons of time, what happens is that the beneficial mutations accumulate, uh, stick together with the result that an entirely new a creature develops. So you have one species becoming an entirely new one through natural selection and, uh, and beneficial mutations over time. But there's some problems with that. You know, I'm like not a scientist. I just try to think reasonably a little bit. For instance, here's a particular problem with that whole theory. It's this. Things don't seem to mutate upward. They just don't do that. In fact, when there is a genetic deviation, departure from the norm, mutation, it seems to undermine the healthfulness of a species. It doesn't contribute to its growing upward movement and complexity. And so the way things really work seems to fly in the face of natural selection and evolution. You see, the genetic makeup of species seems to be moving downward when there are mutations and not upward. Mutations do not improve a species. In fact, they cause it to decline. So natural selection is then a kind of a downward movement and not an upward one, as Darwin suggested. 
You have to have a whole lot of faith, folks, to accept the theory of evolution as the explanation for our being. You see, it takes faith to believe that the world sprang into existence from nothing and for no reason. That takes a lot of faith. It's nothing to do with science. It takes faith to believe that though you cannot explain how matter got there to begin with, you still believe it always was and therefore is eternal. That's a faith statement. That's not a scientifically verifiable statement. It takes faith to believe that impersonal matter created personal people. Impersonal matter created us. That's a faith statement. That's not scientifically verifiable. That's a religious statement. That's a philosophical statement. That is a worldview. That is not hard, real, verifiable science at all. It takes enormous faith to believe that species evolved over long periods of time from one kind of animal to an entirely different one when in fact you cannot show evidence of transitional forms of life between those species. The fossil record doesn't do it. Where are the transitional forms? So if you're leaping over that, it's a faith decision you're making. It's not scientific at all. Now, to me, because of the gross non-evidentiary basis of the belief system known as evolution, I think it is really more accurately to be referred to as a philosophical worldview rather than a science. Which leads to this question. If the theory of evolution is not scientific, why would intelligent, well-educated People choose it as the explanation for our origin. Well, here I simply offer a somewhat insulting, yet I think true, answer, and it is this. If you can manage somehow to take God out of the equation of life, you don't have to live in submission to him. That's why perfectly intelligent, well-educated people are evolutionists. Thank you, advanced primates, <laughs> for responding. <laughs> so look, let me, let me just offer to you the other world view as an explanation for how we got here. And I know we got maybe a little complicated and complex. This is so simple. Listen, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, notice how many times it says God created us in that verse. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Three times God made it so simple. He created us. There is not a natural evolutionary explanation for our being here. It is super natural. We are a product of the gracious divine activity of Creator God, who alone is eternal and had pre-existence. 
Folks, the Bible told us that, and the Bible, remember we started with it? The Bible is reliable. You have to get that figured out. Are the writings, the holy writings, are they reliable? Can you count on them? If so, everything they say can be believed in, such as Genesis chapter 1 Verse 27, folks, the Bible is our most reliable. No, it's our only reliable record of how we got here because only God was there at the time. Charles Darwin was not there at the time, and I surely wasn't there at the time, and Brother Skip might have been. So we look to God's word for an explanation of how God got us here because only God was there at the time. And so God's word reveals that our existence is to be attributed directly to him. It tells us that we were created and that's how we got here. Earlier on in the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, we have this marvelous uh, account of the heaven and the earth and the sun and the moon and the stars and the plants and the animals and how they all came to be. Each element of creation is uh, spoken of, reported briefly, but, but when the scriptures uh, come upon the creation of man, it pauses and, and they linger long over him. Everything that was created prior to the sixth day, prior to the creation uh, of us was to provide, by God's grace, was to provide the environment in which we could live, in which we could thrive, in which we could be blessed by God, and this is the most important part, in which we could therefore glorify Him for His marvelous work on our behalf. Everything that was created up to the point of the creation of man was made for the benefit of man so that man would reflect the glory of God. So with regard to the creation of other living things, we read simply that God spoke and brought them into existence. But with regard to uses, however, we read that God made us in his own image. Folks, that is said of no other creatures, not even angels think about it. This is said uniquely of us. So this is something, being created in God's image. This is something about us you cannot locate in the parts that make us up. The anatomical study can't find this. Uh, genetics, DNA, chromosomes, evolutionary theory cannot account for the fact that we have been created in the image of God. This is what distinguishes us from everything else in creation order. Poor scientists who are restricting their investigation only to what their rational mind can apprehend put us under a microscope, but they can look under the strongest of microscopes and they'll not find this ingredient which God put into us, and that is he made us to be in his own image. The Hebrew word for image, selem, means to carve or to cut off. And so in, you know, in, in a marvelous way, we're kind of a chip of God. I didn't say we're God. We're kind of a chip of God, a reflection of God. And that's our purpose. We have been shaped and we have been formed to be like him. We are not highly evolved apes. Give me a break. We are not highly evolved apes. We have been carved out as in the Tselem image of God. 
And folks, that is the very difference between us and every other created thing, is as if God said at the point of creation, I want to make now a creature as much like me as a creature can possibly be. I will therefore make man in my own image. No man did not spring out of some natural evolutionary process. In fact, we are the result of the immediate and direct creative work of Almighty God. Now, why do we even debate over evolution and creation and have such, such sometimes animated, even aggressive conversations such, with such hostility? Is it that important to, to determine what you believe, creation or evolution? Yes, it really is. Let me tell you why. Evolution teaches, as I mentioned, that as species evolve through natural mutation and natural selection, species advance. So that superior species eliminate inferior ones. It's called survival of the fittest, you see. And so nature, in effect, eliminates its weak and inferior members. And since this is natural, couldn't one ask the question, why not simply cooperate with nature? In fact, why not try to speed it up. And so Adolf Hitler, himself an evolutionist, asked this question. I quote directly from Adolf Hitler, who I don't often quote, but I will tonight. He asked, should I not also have the right to eliminate millions of an inferior race that multiplies like vermin? And so he felt he had the right. He studied nature. He saw what was happening. He felt by natural evolutionary process, inferior members eliminated, uh, giving way to superior members. Therefore, he said, why don't I just cooperate with nature and exterminate millions of those he considered to be inferior members of the species? Now, was he wrong? Well, thank you. I agree with you. Yeah, he was surely morally wrong, and yet he was quite consistent. If you follow the logical progression of evolution, and if this is happening in nature, good night. Let's just cooperate with nature and kill off those we determined to be inferior members. It wasn't just the Jews. You remember? Gypsies, bald people, left-handed folks. I mean it. I mean, he considered them to be... How about Joseph Stalin? He also was an evolutionist. Stalin's uh, horrors surpassed even those of Hitler's. In fact, Stalin is credited with murdering at least 10 times as many so-called inferior members of the species. Was Stalin wrong? Well, surely morally, but really not. He was operating in a very consistent matter, manner with his belief in evolution. Now, am I? Daring to say that all those who believe in evolution are murderers? Yes. Oh, maybe not in the same sense, of course, as a Hitler or a Stalin. But if you accept evolution as the explanation for how we got here, what you have just done, whether it be with malice or not, what you have just done is you have made an attempt to kill off the image of God in us. You're trying to minimize it, explain it away, and dismiss it. Of course you're a murderer. You're reducing us to naturalistic explanations. You're telling me my beginning is from rocks and chemicals and not from Almighty God. And that's why you can justify abortion and euthanasia. You're not killing a person created in the image of God. You're just 
you're getting rid of inferior members of the species. Of course, behind all of this stuff is evolution. Absolutely. It's very, very serious to reduce us to simply higher animals on the evolutionary plane is indeed to murder the imago Dei, the image of God with, which is in us. Now, forget about all that. Let me ask you a question. Why do you even want to do that? Why do you want to accept that worldview? Can I ask you a question? What comfort could there possibly be in a belief system declaring, in the beginning, not God, in the beginning there was nothing, and it exploded. Don't ask me how, it's all by faith. And we are simply the result of a cosmic accident. Nice to see you, my fellow cosmic accidents. What comfort could you possibly derive from that belief system? Well, none for a particular lady who visited a Christian counselor. She was in great pain. She explained to him what she was struggling with. She spoke to him about how she felt intensely alone and abandoned. And as she was speaking, the counselor, much to his dismay, couldn't get a verse of Scripture out of his mind. He was doing his best to focus on what she had to say. But something seemed to have been placed in his mind at that very moment. And it was this verse of Scripture. It kept running through his mind even as she was speaking. It's from Psalm 100, verse 3, and it says, It is he who made us and not we ourselves. He couldn't shake the thought. He couldn't stop thinking about that verse. The lady continued to speak, and when she finished, she paused awaiting the counselor's direction and advice and response. He felt compelled somewhat embarrassingly to tell her, though I've been intent on all that you have said, I simply must share with you something I believe God has put in my mind even as you are speaking. It's this verse of Scripture. I don't know why it's there, but let me share it with you. And he said, I think God wants you to know this. It is this. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. And then he asked her, does that mean anything to you at all? She started to cry uncontrollably. And when she finally regained her composure, she said, well, there's something I didn't tell you about me. My mother became pregnant while yet she was not married. The man deserted her and me when I was enwombed I've never met my biological father. Oh, my life, said she. I was led to believe I was a mistake. I was nothing more than an unplanned accident. And she said, when you quoted that verse, I for the first time was able to picture in my mind Almighty God forming me in my mother's womb. And now I know God created me. I'm not a mistake. I'm no unplanned accident. I'll never be the same again. 
Don't you see in that counseling scenario, Almighty God, the divine counselor, knew that that woman needed to know she was his marvelous creation and not an accident. Don't you realize each seated here tonight, God knows all of us also need to know this about us. How did we get here? Take comfort in knowing this. And God created us in his own image. In the image of God, he created us. And so my fellow creaturely beings made in the image of God, now we know how we got here, which leads to the logical next big question, and what are we to do now that we are here? And Lord willing, next week, should he bring us together, we'll address that question. I'm here, creator God. Now what is your purpose for me? Lord Jesus, thank you beyond words for speaking us into existence, not with a mere impersonal word, but with the very breath of life. Thank you for distinguishing us from all else in creation order. Thank you for the uh, overwhelming privilege of being able to reflect your glory to a watching world. Thank you for reminding us that though we be not God, we are your representatives on earth. Thank you for implanting with us, in, within us your very image and likeness, which we admit has been marred by our own sin and yet not extinguished. So, almighty God, thank you for your work of creation. Thank you for your work of redemption by which even the marred image of yourself in us uh, can be revealed to a needy and watching world. So, Lord, we have even now a hint of our purpose. Thank you for telling us how we got here. It's through your gracious divine activity. And thank you for already suggesting to us what we are to do here. Let your light so shine before other creaturely beings that they may see your good works and give glory to your creator, Father, who is in heaven. Oh, God, help us to fulfill our life's purpose. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.